HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guests today are Michael Helen Tuko and Harry Rosenblum, who organize Sumo's 2, which is a unique viewing party with sumo tournaments. They have cultivated a big sumo fan base through multiple Sumo's 2 over the last two years. Also, both uh, Harry and Michael are the hosts at Heritage Radio Network as well. And Harry's show is uh, Feastier Years, and Michael uh, is the host of uh, Food Scene. And today we'll talk about uh, what sumo is, uh, sumo wrestlers' profound food culture, and of course uh, what sumo stew is. Uh, but quickly before we start, Japanese is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes and Stitcher podcasts. Please go to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe to Japanese. Also, if you have any ideas and topics for the show or show guests, please listen, let us know, and you can email us at japaneats at heritagevideonetwork.org. And some of you have already sent us uh, fun ideas, and I'm putting them together in the next season's program. So thank you so much. So now let's start a conversation with Harry Rosenblum and Michael Helen Tokyo. Hello, Harry. Hello, Michael. Hi, Kiko. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, so first of all, uh, please tell us about uh, your background. Uh, so Harry, you have the ama- you have the amazing store called the Book and Kitchen in Williamsburg, and uh, actually you talked about it in my very first episode on Japanese. So for listeners who have not listened to the episode and what Book and Kitchen is, why do you really have um, 
such a nice niche fun products <laughs> at the Brooklyn Kitchen? Well, um, I think that the you know one of the things that we strive for with the Brooklyn Kitchen is to bring people you know uh, high quality products, um, and it's not solely Japanese, obviously. But mm-hmm. I have a personal interest in um, Japanese food, Japanese food culture, and Japanese products. And I mean, obviously, Japanese knives are known as being some of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. So very early on, when we started the Brooklyn Kitchen, um, we started looking for Japanese knives to to have in stock, and that sort of led to a whole host of other products. Mm-hmm. Um, after a couple of my early trips to Japan, I realized that there were lots of Japanese food products, both food uh, food and also Japanese housewares products that weren't imported here, mm. um, but had I think I think have a place in the U.S. market, and so that led to some direct relationships and some direct supplier importing. Mm, cool. Yeah, I heard that almost every single American chef has Japanese knives <laughs> nowadays. So, and what's the, what are the examples of uh, the Japanese products that the unique ones that you have? So, um, you know, aside from aside from knives, um, we have uh, cast iron pots from Iwate Prefecture, mm-hmm. uh, made by a company called Oigen, um, that very similar to the cast iron that's made in this country. Um, you know, the company's been around since the 19th century, um, and you know, it's functionally the same and is is a product that is very familiar to Americans. Um, mm-hmm. Cast iron has had a real resurgence in the past 10 years as a great uh, a great material for cooking on the stove and in the oven. Um, but it's nice to offer that with a you know slight Japanese uh, mm. sort of design inflection. Right. And one of the things I, I bought from your store is uh, it's called the Kameno Kotabashi. It's like a, you know, like a plant-based uh, Scrubber. So, yeah, yeah, scrubber. And that's perfect on, you know, washing root vegetables because yep. it doesn't damage yep. the vegetables and then it really cleans perfectly. Yeah, and actually, I mean, that's another, so that's a very similar product. The Tawashi scrubber is something that, you know, I found at some point in my travels and thought this is a great product and there's not really anything like it being offered, but it's something that translates very easily. It's not specifically Japanese. Everybody has to clean their vegetables or scrub their pots. Right. <laughs> okay. So, Michael, uh, you are trained as a professional chef and now are a successful photographer. So, uh, you have been to Japan a few times. Yep. So, why and uh, when did you go to Japan? Uh, I first went for my honeymoon about three years ago, but I've always been obsessed with Japanese culture from many different standpoints. I think it's a little bit of my OCD nature that I, I like, uh, <laughs> you know, utilitarian form and function. But I was working in Boston, both as a cook and photographer and happened to be in Ken Oranger's Clio kitchen at the time. And he actually converted the lower part of the restaurant into uni sashimi bar. Mm. I was also working as a fishmonger and really into uh, poissonniere, uh, fish cooking. And the two things kind of just mashed up against each other, you know, fish cooking and sashimi. And so I just dove headfirst into Japanese cooking cuisine at the point. So Mm. it took me about 10, 15 years to actually get over to Japan. But now I've been a few times and already planning another couple trips to uh, head back. I mean, cool. I can't think of anywhere else as someone who loves fish that you should go. Right? I mean, <laughs> like just the the variety that you see there. Is yeah, incredible. I would have been so sad. You know, the the rumor or whether or not it's true about Skiji moving. Mm. Uh, if I had never been able to visit that fish market in Tokyo, right? Yeah, the Skiji is amazing. Like it's like a Disneyland for anybody who likes food and fish. Yeah. But I think recently I realized that the more you travel around the the, the whole island of Japan, you find different kinds of fish depending on which port. So that's another fun thing to yeah. travel. Hi. Um, so how do you describe your relationship with Japanese food, Michael? My relationship with Japanese food? 
Oh, well, it's definitely bloomed a lot in the last couple of years with sumo stew, right. for sure. Um, it's really hard to talk about Japanese food as a whole because it's, it's so, there are so many different parts to it. And I mean, chankonabe alone, which is the sumo stew, uh, is a wormhole of information. So yes, mm. a lot of people, like you said, the top of your show, no sushi, but then there's this trickle-down effect of so many other different cuisines. Like right now, I'm trying to master okonomiyaki, the, you know, the <laughs> Japanese pancake, and right. didn't even know about Hiroshima style. Right, so, I was going to yeah, ask you which yeah, style. So. Exactly. So mm. now, all of this is a wormhole. So to talk about Japanese cuisine as a whole, it's just almost an impossibility. Mm. Well, I'm so glad you said that because it's never-ending. The more you yeah. know, you realize you don't know, including me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so... Uh, let's go to that main subject. Uh, what is sumo stew? Um, well, sumo stew is an event um, that uh, Michael and I created two years ago now. Um, and it is based around watching sumo wrestling. So I think, uh, you know, when Michael went to Japan for his honeymoon, I gave him some of my kind of like tips for traveling as a Westerner. Um, I'd been there a few times and had, had some tips. And Michael came back. And came to sort of see me and tell me about his trip and said, oh, my God, sumo was the best thing I've ever seen. And I've, I've actually never I've, – I've never been to see sumo. I will, I will, You've tried. You, you were in tried. Osaka at the right I time. I tried. I was in Osaka at the right time. Right. And I stood in line at 6 o'clock in the morning to get tickets because it was all sold out and there were some left at the door. <laughs> and the last ticket sold to the person who was eight people in front of me in line. Oh. So I tried. Right. Someday well. I will get to see sumo live anyway michael has seen it a couple of times and and came back talking about it Mm -hmm. and i knew a little bit about it i mean i i had watched a little bit here and there and i sort of understood it to be you know not just big fat guys crashing into each other which is sort of (laughs) i think you know there is like a there's like a a a weird i mean it's what would now be called a meme but i feel like in the 80s we didn't call it that but like there was like a joke about like fat guys crashing into each other yeah kind of and there was also what was it wwf or wwe i think in 1993 rick flair uh body slammed yokozuna the wrestler Mm -hmm. and that was the limit of what a lot of people knew about sumo wrestling in the in the united states right yeah yeah well by the way the their main two places that you can watch sumo right in Tokyo and Osaka yep. and depending on the season oh no there are two more Fukuoka and Nagoya mm-hmm. that's yeah. like uh, the regional version yeah right so all so, right. so the event came together mm-hmm. because Michael said let's you know let's figure out a way to bring this to Americans and, and have people become excited in the same way that he was about watching it and you know we started to talk about it and figure out the logistics of it which are somewhat complicated um, but I said let's do it you know we have space at the Brooklyn kitchen we have a video projector we have you know access to great ingredients and we have the ability to cook here so let's do it let's and so we sort of conceptualized the event and it, the concept of the event hasn't really changed since the beginning no it's just grown sumo sized (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean it was kind of unexpected too because i think we originally thought of this more like a friends and family thing because we wanted to entertain ourselves of course you know and we had fun doing so and then more and more people heard and uh, it was word of mouth and it just became a phenomenon. Right. Oh, well, to be honest, I went to the very first one. Right. And the first time you guys told me, like, huh, who's going to go? It's impossible. <laughs> and then I went there, a lot of people, and they really captivated watching the screen. So that was really fun idea. And congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so uh, how many times have you done before? Have you gone through um, the Smalls too? 
think this is our 12th or actually 13th. I think it's actually our 13th because we did it twice in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've taken it on the road recently because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bi-monthly thing. It coordinates with the six grand tournaments in Japan. Um, and what was it? September, we did one in D.C. And I mean, in January, we recently did two um, in San Francisco. Because we were doing every other month at the Brooklyn Brewery once we outgrew the Brooklyn Kitchen space. Mm. Um, but we, we, we want to spread the gospel of sumo and sumo stew past, Yee. you know, just this borough. And, and, I mean, and part of that was because we had been getting requests from other people in other cities who were interested, wow. who'd found the event. That um, is and awesome. said, we, you know, we want this here. Can you bring it here? And, and at first, I think we were both kind of like, ah, it's already a lot of work to do this, you know, six <laughs> times mm-hmm. a year. Um, but then, you know, it, it has worked out, actually. And, mm. the, you know, the, we got such a warm welcome, um, both in D.C. and in San Francisco, that it was actually, I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was a real pleasure. Right. Well, maybe eventually, if you keep doing it, there's me New York Sumo Basho. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's now the inevitable goal. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Yeah. We're hoping we can bring, you know, Sumo, maybe even the Barclays Center before then or, or sh- soon thereafter. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah, like uh, Madison Square Garden or those crazy yeah. places. Wow, that would be <laughs> awesome. Right. So, um, uh, how many people um, attend? Like, the Brooklyn Kitchen is huge. I think that's the most frequently... Um, used place. So, how many people gather at the Simos Two on average? So, at Brooklyn Brewery, usually we have uh, we have a hundred tickets. Then, you know, other people who are related to the event, um, mm. who are working the event, or helping the event, volunteering. So, probably about you know 150 people in the mm-hmm. room. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing! And uh, people repeat coming. Oh yeah, we have a lot. We got to start tracking that and start yeah, giving like badges or, or right. repeat customer. <laughs> but no, it's been amazing because Sumo Stew, as much as it is the same format, doesn't repeat. It's a different tournament. It's different fighters. We switch up um, bento box and the food and the drink vendors every time. So it's it's a new experience. It's like going to a baseball game. Mm. You know, there there are over a hundred in a season, and a lot of people go to multiple because you know there's a different set of things that happen, different action in the sport and different, you know, vendors that you can, can buy food from and drink from. So, you know, it's it's replicable, but it's it's different every time. Mm. Well, it's interesting because Kokugikan, that's the main, you know, the place in Tokyo. And I just, they looked up and their bento menu is always the same. Hmm. So maybe you guys are more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, that that's a good thing, I think, to, to make sure people know is that so part of your ticket gets you a bento. Mm. And every time we do it, we, you know, assemble, mostly Michael uh, assembles an incredible variety of restaurants who contribute to the bento. And so it not only is an incredible experience where, you know, a lot of the people, um, ne- even if they're repeat customers now, maybe had never seen sumo before mm. coming to a, one of our sumo stew events. Um, you also get to eat a bunch of food from in fantastic restaurants that, you know, you couldn't possibly visit all five of them in one day. Right. And so there you are, you get, you know, you get mm. food. Who do we have coming this one? We have All's Well. All's Well's doing teriyaki meatballs. Right. Well, we're going to get there. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> but but before, before, the demographics of uh, the attendees, who are they? Wow, that, that changes every time, too. Um, I mean, we've had, we've had ones where it's like half Japanese. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we've had others where, you know, it has been no repeat customers, and we don't know anybody. Uh, you know, we still have a lot of friends and food media that keep on coming. Um, but, yeah, it, we're gaining sumo fans from 
all areas. And it's just exciting to see new faces bring or old faces bring new faces mm-hmm. um, because I feel like that's what happens. Like this, this one person goes and then tells their friends and then, you know, a table of one turns into two to four to eight. And there's, right. there's almost people trying to buy tables every time we go now. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, so Japanese people knew the culture and then it's like a nostalgic yeah, I think, I, idea of coming in. Yeah, there was a draw, I think, also for even, you know, for Japanese who are living in, in the U.S. because it's hard to watch here. Um, there's very little coverage of it, even on the Japanese language television mm. uh, that's available in the U.S. And it's not easily available online. Right. Um, you know, you, you do get some stuff trickling through YouTube, um, but it's not easy to mm. just sort of watch an entire couple of hours in one stretch. Right. Um, and and a big screen, too. Yeah, and we've figured out a way to do that. I'm not going to divulge our <laughs> secrets, but we've figured out a way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I also like to note, in, in Japan, the sumo tournaments happen from like 9 to 5 every day for 15 days straight, and people go to bars, and so we're trying to almost replicate that atmosphere that everyone can cajole together, you know, go to a, a common space and, and enjoy watching sumo as one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, sumo wrestling itself, but I think it's really quick and easy, and it's like a once, one moment, if somebody's going to win and lose. Yeah. So it's kind of addictive. It's, I mean, it's easy to understand. There's no, I mean, the language barrier kind of doesn't exist, mm. right? Um, and and the sports knowledge, like, it's very easy to understand who wins and who loses because the rules are so simple. I mean, like, I don't understand cricket, and I would never have any interest in watching it, to be honest, because <laughs> it seems so complicated to track and to keep, you know, to pay attention to. But sumo, you know, a match can be over in 15 seconds. Right. Very easy to understand. And then you get to go back to drinking and eating. Right. But if, also at the same time, you know, before they actually battle, they just look at each other and there's a rituals of the judge and the beautiful clothes of the judge. And there's something very uh, sacred in a way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it comes from Shintoism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it still retains some aspects of you know, that religious background. Um, a lot of it's a little more performative now. But mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time, yeah, it, it's more like chess than it is like wrestling in my mind, because huh. it, it's a lot of posturing and almost you know, it's a mind game. You know, as much as it is, you know, two titans smashing up against each other, a lot of it is, you know, being in that space and kind of being psychological as mm, well. Right. And the capture the moment of the right timing for to win. So, yeah, it's thrilling. Uh, so so you, you said you went to uh, San Francisco and D.C. So did you see different kinds of uh, people in terms of, you know, demographics? Oh, absolutely. Um, D.C., it was crazy. People were buying like 10 tickets at a time. Um, and I think, yeah, we only did one night there. Uh, so that sold out pretty quickly. Um, or the at, whole political party. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was groups of people that worked together that wanted to go out together. And it was kind of like seeing Japanese businessmen on the train after work um, and just letting loose and enjoying themselves. Whereas San Francisco, we saw tickets by like one, two, one, two. And we did two nights there. So we saw, you know, almost 200 different people mm. at this event. Um what was so cool about San Francisco is we held it uh, at a point of the week where chefs could come to, and pretty much all the chefs that contributed to the event 
attended. So we not only got a sumo fan watching community, but we got you know a great culinary and chef community wow. there as well. Because I think they're all interested in Japanese cuisine too. And when we try to set up these events, especially in the bento box, it's not just Japanese restaurants. Mm. It's American restaurants. It's maybe even a Mexican restaurant. Or, you know, it's showing how cross-curricular Japanese cuisine and influences therewith have become. Right. I think the ramen was a good uh, kind of tool to educate people about dashi and everything, right? So maybe that's another reason. But it's funny. So you were educating people with the sumo but also culinary inspiration through sumo stew. So that's amazing. So, and uh, so the, why do you think sumo, sumo stew is so popular? Because it's the best value event that you can <laughs> go to in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, you get, you get, uh, you get a bento, you get drinks. You get whiskey, you get sake, you get shochu, you get tea, and then you get chankonabe, which mm-hmm. is the sumo stew, right. where so, the name comes from. Right. So when you go in, buy tickets, and say Brooklyn Kitchen, what happens? It's like whole big screen waiting for you, and then you pick up your drink and the food. and. Uh, yeah, you, you get a bento box when you walk in the door, and mm-hmm. that has uh, five Five, four or five, four yeah. to five contributions from different restaurants. Um, we're you know we're lucky to have a great relationship with Sun Noodle, so there's always some kind of a noodle dish um, in there. And then you also get some drink tickets. So you get a beer token uh, for Brooklyn Brewery beer. You get a drink ticket to uh, you get two drink tickets to try two of three um, drinks, and you can buy more drink tickets and tokens uh, after. But you can uh, Nika Whiskey has been a longtime sponsor, so you get to taste Japanese whiskey. They're really the ones that sort of started. Japanese right. the whiskey craze in Japan, mm. which I think it really is a craze now. I mean, mm-hmm. the Japanese love whiskey. Um, and then there's shochu, um, which is probably a lesser known uh, spirit, but it is a distilled spirit, um, very popular in Japan. I found out recently that there's more shochu made in Japan than there is tequila made in Mexico <laughs> every year. It's, oh, wow. Almost yeah. all of it is consumed in it, Japan. It's amazing seeing kind of the demographic between 25 and 40 in Japan. I see a lot more people drinking shochu, maybe because of the expense, too. I mean, shochu is kind of like Japanese vodka in my mind. Um, but like Mizu, who's also been a longtime sponsor, has been pouring for us and shows it um, simply on ice with a slice of cucumber. They have a lemongrass-infused one. Um, but a lot of people didn't... They More, they, more people knew shochu you know, the Korean drink, mm. than they did shochu, the Japanese drink. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the way you describe the, the vodka in Japan, because uh, I think when uh, the economy tanked, people started drinking highball, the shochu highball, like diluted mm. with uh, the ice. And so it's kind of economical, but also people realize how diverse the flavors are. So I think shochu, shochu is not something that people went willing to be introduced to. So sumo's too maybe yeah. a good one. And we've been schooled by Stephen Lyman, yes. who is a shochu ambassador in this country. Right. Yep. He came on a show too. Yeah. yeah. Right. So he, he's he's shown us the breadth of what shochu can do. Mm-hmm. So how do you get those uh, vendors? I have no idea. I mean, it's just <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't have any clue as to how this got as far as it did. Just because you know this this was a fun little thing for us, and it still is very fun for yeah. us. And it's just a wonderful phenomenon. I mean, we've 
been getting approached. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it went from us, you know, sort of asking. At first, we sort of at first we we did almost you know we did all the cooking ourselves, kind of you know with with staff at the Brooklyn Kitchen, um, and then we were kind of like, all right, well, let's get some people to contribute to this, and we started putting on feelers, and now you know we've got a list. I mean, people are asking us; they hear about it from other chefs. Okay, we've had restaurants who've done it in the past who want to do it again. Right. Um, you know, when we went to San Francisco, I mean, it was like we, people were chomping at the bit. Yeah, we had to say no to people yeah. uh, because wow. we, we just had too much going on. And it's, it's been kind of wonderful. And I think Harry mentioned Sun Noodle's been a long-time sponsor of ours, so we always have a noodle dish. Now we have Hodo Soy, which makes tofu and yuba mm. in the mix. Uh, Happy Valley Meat Company has been giving us beef for certain dishes. And, I mean, there are more and more companies coming towards us that want to be part of, you know, this collective. And it's just been... Pretty awesome. And like even tea. Tea's been changing yeah. every time. Yeah. Uh, I think you had Zach Mangan on mm-hmm. your show. Hi. Kettle Tea. Uh, Stefan uh, from Tea Dealers. Now we have Hi. a poto coming this time. Um, yeah, it's been it's been kind of amazing. Wow. I was wondering, because you guys are very busy full-time work. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely, it's one of those things, uh, you know, when you finish kind of a big project and you kind of breathe a breath and you're, you, you feel like, all right, you know, that's that's finished. And I feel like every time that ha- every time, like, you know, we're done with a sumo stew and we put everything away and we're like, all right, great. That was awesome. Oh, wait, there's one, there's one <laughs> coming up next two month. Months. Two months. Yeah. You better start planning the next one. Yeah, and that's been, the tournament never stops. No. So you have to <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So uh, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about sumo wrestlers food that, that makes them strong. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats Broadcasting Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guests today, my guests today are Michael Holland Turkel and Harry Rosenbaum, who uh, organize uh, Sumo Stew, which is a unique viewing party with small tournaments. So uh, we all have some ideas of what sumo is, but what exactly is sumo? We asked you that at first. (laughs) I think when we started, you know, when I saw sumo for the first time, it was unlike any other sport I'd ever seen. And like Harry was saying before, um, it's kind of codified. You can see 
things happen over and over and kind of start understanding it. Now that I've kind of studied the sport a little bit for the past couple of years, I'm no way an expert. <laughs> I mean, people that come to sumo to school us, they like, oh, yeah, I saw this person, you know, in 1980 at this tournament. And just <laughs> the stories we get to hear from, you know, the attendees is, is almost worth throwing sumo to alone. But uh, the easiest way to kind of break down what sumo is, is, you know, it's two people um, who are in this ring. And there's really only, well, two ways to lose. Uh, anything but the bottom of your feet touch the ground, you've lost. Or if you fall outside of the ring, you mm. have lost. And you could do almost everything other than kind of like go for the groin or pull the hair um, <laughs> and to no, actually and no win. face either. Yeah. You can hit the chin. You can hit chin, but... But not the, not the nose or eyes. Mm. Right. And just the, the, the ring's called the dokyo, which is uh, 15 feet in diameter. And uh, whichever steps out of the folds of the ring loses the match. So bef- other than that, you just can do anything. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important to note people um, who don't know sumo are always amazed when they come to, when they come to sumo stew that the wrestlers only wrestle once a day. Mm. So when you see two wrestlers, when you look at the, when you watch a match, they, they're done. And that can take, you know, five seconds. I mean, it can take, you know, 60 seconds is an incredibly long match, which, mm. you know, for someone coming out of, you know, out of America where, you know, you remember like extra inning baseball games that are like six hours long, it's, you know, it's totally different time scale. Right. Um, but it's important to note that that wrestler, you know, once you win or lose that match, that's it. You don't get to, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't wrestle the next guy. <laughs> you wait till right. the next day and then you get paired up with someone else to wrestle the following day. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine like you know lifting um like 300 uh, pounds of weight at yeah. the Olympi- uh, olympic 300 games. is light <laughs> 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 i think that's like a bare minimum these days in sumo matches right but it's really they are not just fat they're strong yeah so yeah and uh so the what is um history of small i think it's a kind of uh, important to understand I mean, I think it was much more of a, again, performative thing before it was a sport um, based in Shinto religion. It, it was almost for emperors as entertainment and then kind of turned into a sport after that, after mm-hmm. that kind of losing a little bit of the you know, religious aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sumo has gone through a really interesting period over the last, I think, 20 or so years because it is very insular. Um, and up until, what was it, last year? Uh, there hadn't been a sumo wrestler from Japan that had won a basho a tournament in a decade. Mm. Um, up until this last tournament, there hadn't been a sumo wrestler from Japan who had been a Yokozuna for two decades. Which is a grand champion. Yeah, the, the top of the top. So, you know, being an American, not knowing much about it, we jumped into sumo at this really exciting time. Mm. So I really feel like the history is kind of being rewritten again right now Mm -hmm. Um, and I I can maybe wax a little more about the history but what I'm most excited about is what it is at the moment and what it can become and I'm hoping it will become something bigger than just an insular sport in Japan right yeah it's it's interesting Um, like you know you said uh, originally it was a religious and uh, it was uh, played at uh, Emperor's Court originally to predict the harvest of the year. That was like a really long time ago. And then um, it started to be samurai as training program. And then I think uh, Nobunaga Oda, <coughs> the biggest shogun, he hired the best winner of the wrestling as uh, the close kind of um, 
his warrior. So that's very important. But I think, like you said, you know, recently it started to be more kind of rich nationality, right? Which is kind of important because it's been, it's a national sports of Japan. And uh, I think um, Hawaiian, Takamiyama came in, and then more Eastern European people came in, Russians came in, and, you know, other um, Asian wrestlers came in. So I think you are universally kind of like uh, internationalizing sumo. And within the sumo world, it's kind of being more globalized. So hopefully... I think it's going to be interesting rather than keep it in like Kaiseki cuisine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You shouldn't stay in Kyoto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's important to have Kyoto classic, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, so the history wise, it's, it's really diverse and interesting. But, um, and the rules are simple, right? And only um, there are six tournaments. So every, every two months. Every two months, to, yeah. Right. And, uh, so this, the people just going to all the tournaments, but have you, when you saw, uh, have you seen any uh, foreigners seeing small in Japan? Oh, yeah, no, there have been a handful. And yeah. You kind of walk by them and nod. I, I met a few standing in line. Uh, okay. waiting, waiting for tickets in yeah. Osaka when I didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met two British expats uh, who live in Osaka and work there, mm-hmm. um, who were both standing in line, who had, who had been to a couple of the other days at, in the tournament wow. um, by getting up early and waiting in line. Mm-hmm. So I think I have some information later for the listeners that you can actually go and get the information or where to get tickets. But So now let's talk about uh, small wrestlers' food. So obviously food is important for them. And I heard it's a part of the job to eat. Yeah, they have to mm-hmm. maintain quite quite a physique. Um, I mean, both in terms of strength, mm. um, but also just in terms of volume. Right. So um, the this, they say the secret of their strength comes from chanko nabe that you mentioned earlier, Mike, Michael. So what is chanko nabe? That's a complex question as well, because <laughs> there's no real recipe for Chunkonabe. Um, and with the six tournaments, three are in Tokyo, then the others are in Nagoya, Fukuoka, and Osaka, and they happen at different times of the year, Chunkonabe is just a stew built on whatever they have around. Mm. Uh, most traditionally, chicken, um, because they're just saying that sumo wrestlers want to be like chickens uh, on two feet. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so we started doing a lot of chicken ones at first with sukune meatballs and uh, whatever greens, tofu, and vegetables we had, but... Um, it's kind of cool to see all the different iterations of Chankonabe with regional and seasonal ingredients during, you know, which tournament, what time of year and what location within Japan it is. Mm. And then we've kind of taken that as a cue to do whatever the heck we want, um, inviting Moku Moku, Phil Gilmore, around the corner from, uh, you know, where we're taping today, has been so Amazing at just incorporating different ideas, elements, ingredients, and just kind of making this understanding that Chankonabe is this stew made of whatever, but it's just delicious, it's fortifying, it's filling, and it's particularly healthy. You know, that's the thing. I think a lot of people think, oh, sumos must eat terrible food, that's why they gain all this weight. No, they eat something that's a, a mixture of so many great things. It helps, you know, it, expand their bodies at the same time, you know, gain muscle, gain strength, rather than just, you know, gaining fat. Right, yeah. and also balanced with vegetables also. Mm-hmm. Right. They drink beer too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like a wagyu beef. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I heard a white machanko uh, became so um, um, significantly important in the sumo. So it's easy to cook uh, a lot at at once, mm. and uh, it's a uh, um, very highly nutritious, and then it's balanced. 
and sanitary because you eat straight out of the same pot and it's cook, being cooked as you eat. So you don't have to um, like transmit all the germs <laughs> <Yeah> . among all those wrestlers. And uh, you can cultivate kinship among the wrestlers by surrounding one single nave. Except there's a funny thing that happens. There's a hierarchy, you know,、uh, in,、right. in the sumo stables in the Baya, where the oldest, most tenured sumos get to eat first. So they get to eat all the good stuff that floats to the top, <laughs> then the second guys and the third guys. And it's usually some of the youngest, if not a specific chankonabe master at the house or stable,、um, that makes a chankonabe.、Um, That usually eat last, so they kind of get like the dredges of chankonabe and then whatever extra rice is over. So they get like the least、right. chankonabe, chankonabe, and the top guys get, you know, the cream of the crowd. Right. Yeah. And、uh, un oh, unless you are really top level, you take turn every day. You have to、uh, cook chanko. Make it, yeah. Right. And、uh, well, of course, I heard that if you're at the lower level, you stay. Kind of hungry and have to <laughs> supplement with something else. <laughs> and also, if you're not good, you are keep cooking, Chanko. Until you get better. Yeah, but you never get better.、Right. So when you retire, they have better restaurants. <laughs> if you're bad as a small wrestler, you have better restaurants.、Oh. That's what、uh, people do.、Yeah. Really、and there、go. are a ton of Chankonabi restaurants near Ryugoku in、uh, Tokyo.、Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it's Amazing to see all these ex sumo wrestlers retire and they open up Chankonabe restaurants. Right, yeah. I, mean, I think that's something that, that、uh, athletes do here too. Yeah. Right? I mean, athletes go to Michael Jordan's steakhouse and, you know, they, have, they go on to have these, <laughs> you know. But that's another funding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's, it's really fun to, you know, it's for, for us, it's hard to eat Chanko on a daily basis, although there's a new weekend at home version of、yeah. it. But you could go to Ryogaku area in downtown Tokyo. You can find a lot of Chanko Nave restaurants. Or Moku Moku. Right here. <laughs> in,、yeah. in Bushwick. Or, or, or Zas on the Lower East Side.、Yeah. Gaku Shibata has done a couple、uh, events with yeah, us. Yeah, he talked about it.、Uh, he's a Chanko. Yeah, yeah.、Right. So there's a couple places in New York you can Chanko out. Right. And, and I mean, and, you know, who knows? I mean, in, in another 10 years, maybe Chanko Nabe will be as popular as sushi.、Mm. Sure. Right? I、yeah. mean, as, as Japanese cuisine, as you say in the opening of your show, Starts to become better known here. You know, sushi was kind of the first thing. Right. And now we're, you know, 30 years on or so, 40 years on, and people knowing about sushi in this country. And so as that expands. Yeah, because I'm asked, oh, what's after, after ramen? And it's, ramen, there's nuburo, and you can change toppings and yeah. the carbs,、yeah. and you can put some rice. You, often after the, we have、uh, the chanko,、yep. and then you write,、uh, throw in rice or noodles. So that's kind of possible. Chanko、yeah. is another.、Uh, I just want it to be onigiri and highballs because that's what I usually survive on. <laughs> you know, like cans of highball and、yeah. 7 Eleven onigiri in Japan. Yeah, well, the, seriously, uh, seven, uh, the convenience store onigiri sandwiches、yeah. in Japan is amazing. Yeah, they're so good. I wish we had them here. I wish you could go into a bodega in New York and get some. Like right now, I'm like a little hungry. I was like, oh, I wish I could just go around the corner and get onigiri when you yeah. say that. Or a tonkatsu、awesome. sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm really being asked often which、uh, restaurant I should go to. When they travel to Japan by our listeners. So I'm compiling a list, but I have to go at the top convenience store for breakfast to l i k e my snack. It's really, really high quality. 7 Eleven, Lawson's, Family Mart, they're all great. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Lawson's and. Right. So,、um, yeah, so I heard,、um, just to add some, you know, the nabe, chanko nabe, they, I heard that chili nabe is one type of nabe, which is fish based, the clear soup, this lighter cleaner. But、uh, yose nabe is like, Yose means gather,、mm -hmm. so it can be anything. Yeah. Yeah, so the two versions, but, anyways, it's very um, um, 
nutritious, and it can be soy and soy based, and the salt based or miso based. It can be anything. Like yeah, this said. time it's going to be oyster based. Uh, we have Island Creek wow. oysters, so it's going to be a chicken and oyster chonkonabe. Wow, that's a very luxurious version. I don't think it, it happens. In uh, sumo wrestlers, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a that's a you know people who are coming to sumo stew here. I think it is a pretty luxurious, uh, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but you, you never know. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, when the sumos travel to each tournament, they live in this stable, and they're tenamache, these guys that put them up, and then people from that surrounding village or whatever town they're in bring them food. You know, almost like it's a donation. So if there's a good oyster guy, you know, in that town, you you never right. know they might bring oysters. Yeah. Right. Wow, like a sumo chanko tour in whole Japan. Um, okay, so the chanko is important for small wrestlers, but for for our audience, bento box is important. So you have bento box that the sumo do, right? So do you know anything about the bento box that the sumo viewing at uh, the culturally? I mean, I, I know there are, and I've I've actually brought my bento boxes. I see a lot of people go to. I've been to a couple, um, you know, sumo matches in Japan. I see more people bring their own bento. Mm. Uh, I see groups of people, like buses, come in, and they all have the same bento box. <laughs> when I was in Osaka last, I went to Sushiman uh, in one of the big department stores in the Dapachka, you know, the downstairs basement mm-hmm. uh, food markets. Um, and I brought that there because it was hako sushi, um, you know, Osaka style right. preserved sushi. And I'm like, it makes sense to have the most traditional bento box there. Um, so I ate that. So I didn't really explore. But like you said, there sometimes there's not a huge variety of bento boxes in those outlets. I mm. think uh, Benamatsu does a lot um, at sumo tournaments, which is a larger, uh, you know, bento box right. company. Yeah. Um, so, well, by the way, so bento. As everybody knows, it's really big in Japan. And then when you get, get on the Shinkansen, you know, there's always a sh- big store. And you have, like, literally tens of options. Yep. Yeah, so before you get on a built train, you have to really spend some time, like, spare 30 minutes to <laughs> choose which kind of box you bring in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the... Typically, uh, the bento that's served at the uh, sumo is called the makunoichi. Makunoichi means uh, intermission. So you have usually um, fish meat, pickles, eggs, and vegetables, rice, and uh, umeboshi um, in the middle of the rice. And uh, that's, I think the makunoichi is served at uh, theaters and typically sumo place. And if you go, look around at the sumo place, you have makunoichi. And they say, please have my makunoichi. And then they sell it at uh, the sumo uh, stadium. So, anyways, um, so when and the way is the next smoke stew? How they always come up so quickly. Um, <laughs> March 13th, Monday, March 13th at the Brooklyn Brewery. Right, okay. From 8 till 11 p.m. Mm. All right, and how much is the ticket? $55. And but you, you know, we have a little special discount for Japan Eats listeners. Yay. You put in Japan Eats, you get $10 off. Oh, cool. So, all right, and then where can find the tickets? Sumostew.com. Okay. Or on Eventbrite. You can search that. Okay. Sure. And what kind of food and beverage are you going to offer at the next Sumostew? So much. Yet again, uh, Harry was saying all's well. Yep. 
We got some teriyaki meatballs All's from well them. All's well is this completely new American restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. I approached the chefs because I know them and said, we're doing this thing. It's right down the street. It's mm. at the Brooklyn Brewery. Are you guys interested? And they said, oh, absolutely. We want to do something. Right. Yeah. They're, they're really popular in Bedford Avenue, Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And for brunches, they're like a line. So that kind of food at yeah. the sumo place. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we like to do, though, is yeah. support the local community and bring them into the event. So another one is uh, Sobaya. Uh, they're doing uh, manju, you know, like almost a little sweet. Sweet bun filled with um, azuki, yeah, mm. red bean. Um, and who else do we have? Uh, uh, you introduced me, Samurai Mama, Samurai Papa, yeah. Ozu, who was just yeah. on your right. show. Samakotosuki. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's going to be doing like a riff on like Hiyashi Chuka, cold ramen. Mm. We're not exactly sure what yet. Um, and then we have another spot in the bento that has yet to be decided, but will be announced very soon. Wow, that's exciting! So it's a lot. It's a decent amount of food. And then there's usually dessert, too. Uh, lately, we've been doing cream puffs. Yeah, a matcha, mm. matcha cream puffs, yeah. usually. Oh, wow. So we stuff you like a sumo. We're actually recruiting. <laughs> we're, we're fattening people up a little bit to see <laughs> who the next American sumo wrestler mm. is. Right. So if whoever wants to be a vendor, does they just email you through sumostudio.com? Oh, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Right. That'd be great. And uh, okay, so uh, what are your plans for the future? For Sumo Stew? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think that our plans at the moment are to try to travel every other uh, every other uh, sumo tournament. So that would mean in March um, we're here in Brooklyn, and then in May um, we're looking at traveling it to a couple couple potential other cities. Um, we, we like to work with breweries if we can, because they often have an event space. Um, mm. It doesn't have to be, but that's, that's worked well for us so far. Right. Um, so then we'd be back here in July, mm. um, travel again in September, back in November. I think we have to go back to San Francisco next January. San Francisco, man. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> people are already asking about when we'll be back. Yeah. So. I mean, it's got such a great food scene out there, and they were. I don't know whether or not they're just extremely hungry for these kind of events, or are our events so different that people were Right. Just enamored by it, but mm. we've never had a response like that. We sell out every one we do here, but we sold out day one in San Francisco in under two hours, and then we had to open up a second day, and we sold that out in under a minute. Mm. Why is that? I mean, because it's a uh, West Coast, maybe LA in the same thing. I don't know. Hard. To, I mean, I asked people out there, and everybody just said that everyone in San Francisco is like Gaga for Japanese stuff, and that this was so different. <laughs> and was it? And I mean, and you know, like we said, I mean, it was the the roster of chefs was awesome, mm. and so for people who are food obsessed and Japanese obsessed, the opportunity to come and have that array of food and drink all in one place for one ticket price, mm. you know, and get to watch sumo, which they couldn't do anywhere else was, you know, people right. just were so excited about it. I mean, I think, you know, if we were to set like a long, like a very high, you know, sort of high level goal, um, and Michael, Michael mentioned it earlier, you know, would be if we could get one of the sumo bashos to be in the United States. Mm. I mean, to really, you know, I mean, I think, you know, it's a hard sell, I think, for you know, for Jeff, for Japan, for the the you know the sumo association. But if there was an opportunity to say, okay, one of the six, and not just like a traveling exhibition style, but if we could say, look, you know, America is a place that has a love for Japan mm. and has a love for Japanese culture and Japanese food culture. Let's put a tournament here every year. Right. I mean, not to you know, not to you know. Not saying, just saying. Tokyo's got three. They could give us one. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, the, seriously though, that I really think I, I actually went to see Simo by myself, and it's a crazy story. So, I went to I, my my dad got tickets, like premium tickets, right behind the ring. 
was like, you know, I'm on the camera. And then next day, my friend told me, Did you go see Simone?、Oh, of course I did. And you were watching Makunochi Bento, like crazy. Like both the 30 <laughs> seconds of my camera, NHK national <laughs> camera, captured me eating Bento because I was so happy and I'm eating so fast. I was starving. But, but anyway, so.、Um, Yeah, but I think, you know, if you see actual sumo directly, it's, it's amazing how the energy and、uh, everything. It's like, a, I could imagine a beautiful outfit, Madison Square Garden, you know, like,、mm-hmm. wow, I want to、yeah. see that. You know, and the other thing, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention、uh, Rory Kippenbrock,、yep. who's been with us since the beginning, who sells her amazing Tenegui from Ruhau.、Um, This time we have a kimono and yukata、um, person coming, Kaida. Oh, wow.、Um, so we're, we're also trying to show well, that. You can you know, wear kimono, yukata. Yeah, yeah. You,、oh, cool. So you can try it,、uh, so you can learn how to tie the obi. But, you know, we're trying to. Initially, it was a little subversive. We were trying to, like, show these different parts of Japanese culture without, like, shoving in your face. But, I mean, we're there to celebrate sumo from our perspective, and we're there to bring as much Japanese culture and cuisine in as possible to make this. I'm not going to use the word. Authentic because it isn't our interpretation of you know, how people could enjoy sumo here in the US.、Mm. Wow. As a Japanese, I thank you so much. It's amazing. I, I really hope that、uh, we'll tournament's going to happen sometime, hopefully three years or something. Yeah, yeah. let's work on it. Yes. <laughs> All right. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Akiko. Thank you.、Um, so, listeners, if you'd like to know more about Sumo Stew, please go to、uh, sumostew.com. And also, if you are interested in watching Sumo live when you visit Japan, you can find detailed information at sumo.orjp/en, which is the official English website by the Sumo Association. So, that is sumo.orjp/en. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, or the suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org. And Japaneeds is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and the Stitcher podcasts. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And today's show is made possible by Corinne, and our engineer is David Tassiore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.